and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Deputy Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with author Kate Albus about her debut middle grade novel, A Place to Hang the Moon, out now from Holiday House's Margaret Ferguson Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. Kate Albus grew up in New York and now lives with her family in rural Maryland. When she isn't writing historical fiction for kids, she loves baking, reading, knitting, and other activities that are inherently quiet. Her first novel, A Place to Hang the Moon, is set in England in the early days of World War II and tells the story of three orphan siblings, William, Edmund, and Anna. When war breaks out with Germany, the trio is evacuated along with other children from London to the British countryside, where they hope to find safety and a forever home. Thank you for joining me, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. What first drew you to write this historical middle grade tale? You know, I have been fascinated by the World War II evacuations in England since I first heard about them. Um, it's it's a an historical event that I have always thought sounded preposterous. Um, the thought of, certainly as a mother, the thought of putting my own kids onto a train and sending them off to who knows where, even in, in an effort to keep them safe, is something that I can't even fathom. Um, and certainly as a child, it was, it was not something that I could fathom. Um, so I've always thought that that historical event was ripe to be the subject of a lot of stories. So it, it really was just that preposterous historical event that, uh, that drew me to write. Can you tell us a bit about your research process into that, as you said, preposterous event? Yeah, um, I am a researcher by background, which I think is maybe another thing that draws me to writing historical fiction. In my former life, I was a, um, a, a research psychologist. So I think that part of things going down those historical rabbit holes is maybe the greatest pleasure of the process for me. So in terms of, of sort of finding a setting, I find that I, I start off usually by reading as much as I can get my hands on about the time period, in this case, the English home front during World War II, just to sort of get a sense of of the time and the place and the speech patterns and the dress and what was going on at the time. Um, and in the case of World War II England, I, I really benefited a lot from the various memoirs of people that were real life evacuees back in the 1940s during the war, who then grew up to write about their experiences. So I read um, a lot of evacuee memoirs. The British government during the war actually had a really interesting project where they asked everyday people to basically keep journals, to, to become diarists, and to write about their everyday experience. 
And so that it was called the Mass Observation Project. And those everyday memoirs are are available online. And so I spent a lot of time just reading these snippets of writing by everyday people writing about their everyday experiences during the war. And those two sources were helpful in just giving me a better sense of the time. And then once I actually sat down to write, I spent a lot of time in Google rabbit holes looking up very specific details about things like what sort of candy would kids have eaten in 1940 in England? What books would have been available to these children? Um, little things like that, those sort of detail-oriented rabbit holes that I really love going down. Well, you capture the setting and era so vividly. And I was also struck by how much it resonated with our current moment now and the pandemic, all of the sacrifices that children and families have had to make. There's one moment when William Edmund and their younger sister, Anna, are packing their gas masks, and that just really hit. I'm curious, what stage of the writing process were you in when COVID became a reality? The original manuscript was written way before COVID. I want to say that I wrote, I want to say that I sat down and wrote this probably seven years ago, the first draft, five to seven years ago. So by the time the the pandemic hit, um, I was in the editing stage with Margaret Ferguson, with my my editor. But it's funny, I do find that some of those real life children's stories from World War II do resonate with the kinds of challenges that that kids are facing today. And I've had young readers speak to that when they've talked to me about this book, which is kind of extraordinary hearing modern day kids compare their experiences to the experiences that a child their age might have had, you know, 70 years ago. And in editing this book and and bringing this book into the world, I've thought so much about the people of that generation and the sacrifices that they made by all reports without much thought about it, I think is the thing that's that strikes me. You know, I, I have a friend who has this treasure chest of letters, I think, that her grandparents wrote to each other during the war. And she reports that there are things in these letters like, well, our flat was bombed today, but we all made it out okay. And there were onions at the greengrocer. So wow. <laughs> these sort of extraordinary ability to uh, to look for the good and to carry on and to just do what needed to be done in the face of something really terrifying. Um, I find that just endlessly inspiring. It's also saddening to see in the book the prejudice and suspicion that your young characters face when they relocate to the English countryside, even among their own country folk. On a more global level, was the current immigration crisis on your mind at all? And just these these questions of empathy and and um, the other? You know, 
I can't say that I thought a lot about the current immigration crisis in relation to this particular story. But um, again, in reading those evacuee memoirs and reading the real life stories of kids who experienced this, those sorts of experiences were everywhere. You know, in in real life, the kids that experienced the evacuation obviously had a great range of experiences. There were those that had fantastic experiences and that didn't want to leave when the war was over. There were there were kids who lived with the same family for the duration of the war. And when the war was over, they didn't want to go back to their biological families because their foster families had really become the only ones that they knew. But there were plenty of kids who had very different experiences and who were miserable, whether it was because their daily lives were just unfamiliar in terms of the foods that they ate and um their their daily tasks in the countryside, or whether it was more significant stuff like children's religious practices not being respected. And there were a significant number of kids who frankly thought that it would be better to just brave the bombings back in the cities than it would be to stay on in the countryside. So I was struck by just the huge variety of real life kids' experiences during this historical time period. You mentioned that you have a background in research psychology. How did you decide to pivot to pursue fiction? Oh, that's such a good question. And honestly, I think, well, I know that it it came about through reading to my own kids, to be honest. Um, I've always been a big reader. And I think when my own kids reached an age when I could read to them, that became the greatest joy of motherhood for me. And I think that love of reading aloud to my kids was very much in my head when I finally sat down and tried to write something myself. In all honesty, this book is the first novel that I ever wrote, and I genuinely did not write it with the thought that anyone would ever read it except for my own family. And there was something really joyful about that process of just sitting down and writing something for my own kids. It was joyful enough that um, for a long time, I went on and wrote other things and never really thought about putting my words out there in the world. So that was the pivot point for me, I think, was um, the the joy that I found in reading to my own kids somehow became the joy that I found in writing for my own kids. And I say that as somebody who, having spent a lot of years doing science writing, never really thought that it was possible to do both. I kind of, I've for a long time, I I kind of assumed that a person is either a dry, factual, science kind of writer or a creative storyteller. And for a long time, I think I erroneously assumed that a person can't do both, but um, it turns out they can. (laughs) Of course. And once you had the story on paper, what then 
convinced you to show it to a wider readership outside your family? How did you find your agent and editor? Well, the first people that I showed it to were friends. And I had a variety of friends that said, oh, have you ever thought about putting this out into the world? And again, I, I, I was hesitant to even think about that in large part because I didn't want to take away that very personal joy of just holding up in a room and getting words down for myself and my kids. But after writing some other things and getting a little bit of distance from this first story from A Place to Hang the Moon, it started to feel maybe okay to start letting people other than the people that I that know and love me that have to say that they like it, letting other people put their eyes on it. So when I started the agent query process, I got the, I think, usual number of polite rejections until my wonderful and lovely and kind agent, Catherine Green, it happened to hit her at the right time, I think. And and I really, I have come to believe since that a, a big part of that query process and the submission process is just your words hitting the right person at the right time. Once I signed with Kathy Green, the connection with Margaret Ferguson at Holiday House happened actually quite quickly. And I'm hugely grateful that it did. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't ask for a better and kinder and wiser editor to work with. The novel has a real classic feel, um, not just owing to the historical setting, but also because of the literary references that you weave into its DNA. I love how you include an appendix with the kids' reading list at the end. Could you talk about some of your literary influences for this book and just books that have meant something to you in your life? Absolutely. And I have to give Margaret Ferguson full credit for that book list at the back of the book. That was all her. And, um, and I, um, I'm, I'm grateful to her for thinking of it. Um, in terms of literary influences, you know, when I sat down to write this, I think because it's set in 1940 in England, I sort of had the books of that time in my ear. And so to a large extent, I think I was trying to have that voice in my head that, um, you know, I think the, the book is written third person omniscient. So there's a, there's a good bit of head hopping from one child to another, which I think that third person omniscient style was maybe more common in the books of that era. But what I found when I was reading books of that era when I was a kid or when I was reading them to my kids is that I find it's less common to hear a lot of emotion in those third-person omniscient narratives. And that was something that I wanted to try to bring into this third-person omniscient narrative was, was more of the character's emotional states and feelings at these preposterous world events that they were going through. So I think the books of that era, you know, Narnia certainly comes to mind because the the story is 
at least loosely an homage to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is actually the place where I first uh, learned about the World War II evacuations. Ah, and of course, there's the Edmund connection. Yes. Yeah, that is, he is, he is very definitely an homage to C.S. Lewis. Um, I, I loved the Narnia stories and I, I loved, I loved reading them to my own kids. But the funny thing is that as much as I, you know, obviously the Narnia stories are all about the fantasy and talking animals and epic battles and witches and dryads, in many ways, the part of those stories that stayed with me the most was the one sentence at the beginning that explained why the Pevensey children are being sent to the professor's house where they find the magical wardrobe in the first place. It was this actual real life historical event that necessitated their evacuation. So the Narnia stories certainly were an influence in the writing of this one. In the book, the librarian, Mrs. Mueller, offers a real haven for the siblings. And again, books and stories play a key emotional role in, in helping them keep their spirits up. What do you hope young readers are taking away from the book? It's, it's been out about a year now. Is that right? Yeah, it will be a year on February 2nd. And gosh, in terms of what I hope young readers take away from the story, I certainly hope that the power of stories to comfort and to heal and to sort of wrap us up in a warm blanket, I hope that that comes through and uh, inspires kids to love reading, whatever it is that brings them comfort. And at the same time, I hope that the power of family comes through in the story, whether it's the family that you're stuck with or the family that you actually choose to be with. Those are, those are the two themes that I hope ring true with young readers. That's lovely. And can you share what you're working on now? Absolutely. I um, I have a novel in the works again with Margaret Ferguson at Holiday House, uh, which makes me very happy. It is tentatively titled Nothing Else But Miracles, and it's due out in 2023. So I guess now we can say that's next year. It is still historical fiction, still World War II, but this time set in New York City. And it is about a family that finds a secret space in New York City and uses it as a sort of a hideout during the later part of World War II in New York City. And it's, again, based on on a real place in a real time, and I'm excited to bring it into the world. That sounds wonderful. Looking forward to it. Well, congratulations on your debut, and thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Once again, I've been speaking with author Kate Albus about her debut novel, A Place to Hang the Moon, which is out now from Margaret Ferguson Books. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>